Welcome to Jumpstart Your Joy. I'm your host, Paula Jenkins. I invite you to join me as we explore how inspiring people have chosen joy in their lives and what they have to share with us about how to jumpstart joy in the world. Plus, how do we follow our own hearts, find work that lights us up while mindfully noticing the role that joy plays in our own journey. And welcome to episode 79. This is Paula Jenkins, the host of Jumpstart Your Joy. This week, as part of Courage Month, I'm speaking to Stephanie Delfonso. She's a former celebrity DJ turned spiritual healer, working with clients to face stress and anxiety and to actively choose love and joy in their lives. She and I talk about the law of attraction, the vibrational nature of joy, and she shares a quick breathing practice to help with anxiety. We also talk about how you can display courage in a million baby step ways. I just love it when she says, courage doesn't have to be that big. Stephanie and I hit it off right from the start, and I love how we got to talk about the courage of loving yourself. I love our energy, and I think you'll just love this discussion. Before we get to that, I am so glad you're here. Thank you for tuning in this week and for joining me each week on Jumpstart Your Joy. I publish show notes for each episode that include links to the guest site, additional references, and some of my thoughts about the topics we discuss. You can find them for this episode at jumpstartyourjoy.com slash episode 79. One of the things that I get a lot of questions about is how to start your own podcast. If you are curious about starting your own show, I've compiled a huge amount of the answers to many of the basic questions in a free podcasting fundamentals course, which includes an awesome cheat sheet (laughs) that shares my suggestions for microphones, editing software, where to find your intro music, and more. You can get this by visiting the website jumpstartyourjoy.com and clicking on the start a podcast button on the right-hand side of the homepage, which is right below my photo. When you do this, you'll also be placed on the VIP list to hear about when I open my class, which is Jumpstart Your Podcast, in mid-2017. It's coming up pretty soon. This week, Stephanie Delfonso joins me to talk about the courage of choosing love. I toyed with about five different titles for this specific episode, from choosing joy to facing your fears to waking up to your own breath. Speaking with Stephanie was a bit like speaking with someone I felt like I'd met before. She and I are so like-minded, and we resonated just from the very start. We talk about choosing joy in stress-filled or anxious times. We connect over how to be mindful of news consumption during this difficult political era, and how and why choosing joy is so very good for you and your emotional health. I know you're just going to love getting to know Stephanie. And so here's the interview with Stephanie Delfonso. Welcome to the podcast. Today I have Stephanie Delfonso on the line. I am so excited she is here. Welcome to the show, Stephanie. Paula, thank you so much. I have been so excited for you and I to have a conversation. I think this is going to be absolute magic. I totally agree. Oh, I've already got goosebumps. (laughs) Would you like to tell us about what you loved most as a child or in school? What were your earliest sparks of joy? So... 
That's a really interesting question. And I'm so glad that you sent it to me ahead of time because I had to really sit with this one. Mm. I, I didn't have like the most joyful childhood. So I really thought about that. And I thought, what brought me those sparks of joy? And it was my imagination. I can flash back to being, I don't know, maybe I was six or seven years old and I had a little turntable and I had a symphony, like an, I don't know why I had a record of a symphony orchestra, but I did. And I remember pretending I was the conductor, that I was conducting the orchestra and feeling that joy. So how interesting because the imagination, the power of the imagination, your son is, is still young, right? Yes, he is six. Mm -hmm. Okay. So his imagination is absolutely phenomenal right now. And hypnosis, which is part of what I do, is using imagination. And imagination is the language of the subconscious mind. So it was very interesting for me to see that connection that um, when you asked me about early sparks of joy, that's where I went. And then I started to put that together. Yeah, I kind of love that too because of the record player because you were a DJ for so long. Like, is there <laughs> yeah. a connection there for you as well? Like, I think that's so fascinating. Well, and that's really interesting to look at, Paula, because long before anybody was talking about law of attraction, I was living mm. it. So I used <laughs> to trace it back to literally when I was 14 years old, I knew I was going to be a radio DJ. I used to, I'm like horrified to think about this now, but at 14 years old, I used to hitchhike to go to the train station to take the train to downtown Philadelphia and go hang out in the radio studio with the DJs. But then as I look back to me and the record player as a very young child, you know, talk about law of attraction. That is serious manifesting. Totally is. Yeah, it's really fascinating. And it's like there's so many people who when that question is asked, then it becomes so apparent of, you know, like the through line of what they loved as a kid and then what they wanted to do, what fallen in love with as an adult. Like it's so clear. I mean, and looking back always, you know, the hindsight is twenty twenty thing, but that's fascinating. And so yeah, you is. would you hitchhiked in to be in the radio studio just because you loved it so much. I would, yes, because I would call the DJs and talk to them on the phone. And then, you know, of course, my mother never knew I was hitchhiking to go to the train station to go hang out right. in the radio station. But there was literally, there was this woman who was, you know, she was my idol. And she had an article in the Philadelphia newspaper. And they had a picture of her with her long, flowy hair, queuing up a record on the turntable. And not too many years later, there was an article in, I forget it was the Fort Lauderdale or Miami. Miami newspaper of me as Stevie Knox with my long flowy hair queuing up mm. a turntable. It was amazing. I love that. Oh my <laughs> I know. Gosh. I can't make this up. No, you really can't. So let's talk about law of attraction for a minute because I very recently, oh my gosh, this could be so fascinating. I knew we were going to go different places than what we probably thought, but I recently started listening to Esther and Jerry and Abraham Hicks. Uh huh. How, how does this stuff work? Like, I mean, I realize that, yeah, like there's the visual kind of what the turntable and then also the visual of the long haired DJ. Like, do you think that there's something about visualization and is this related to hypnosis in some way? Okay. So very interesting, Paula. Very interesting. <laughs> so law of attraction. I'm sure you either saw the movie or read the book, The Secret, right? 
Yeah, it just couldn't. I, bleh, it did not okay. resonate with me. I'm no. going to admit. No, because... <laughs> Come on, the guy in his jammies in his living room, pretending he's driving the Maserati, and then, oh my gosh, he looks in the driveway and there it is. No, 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 no. This is not how it works. You have to have the feeling as well. And you and I are so dialed in on joy. Your podcast is called Jumpstart Your Joy. Sitting right next to me, in front of me, is a sign that I have that says, choose joy. Esther and and Jerry Hicks, Abraham, there is the 22 scale of emotions. And number one is the highest vibration. Guess what, folks? That's joy. That's love. That's freedom. Number 22, all the way at the bottom, is fear. So if I can tell you a quick story about a client that I had right about the mm-hmm. time after The Secret came out, and I always remember it was a Monday evening that she came in and she was distraught. I mean, talking distraught. She was tears and shaking and just totally distraught because I think she had read the book, The Secret, and she knew that Saturday night when they pulled the winning Powerball ticket, she knew she had it. She was going to go in and quit her miserable job on Monday morning and tell her miserable boss where to go because she saw in this book that if she just visualized that she had the winning ticket, she was going to get it. So that's the missing piece that they didn't talk about in this secret. And by the way, little known factoid is that Esther was in the original version of the secret movie, and then they pulled her out. Yes, I had heard that. Yes. And yeah, and that it just it's missing that thing where it's, I mean, we get into, and I, I value a good mood board or a good visualization board. Like I'm not thinking that that's not a good tool to kind of both get your head around what from the real logistics and planning side, like what you really want in your life. That's awesome. You kind of have to point yourself in a direction, but I mean, I really feel like this whole manifestation thing has become what kind of diluted into something that's missing, like what you're saying, which is the true point of having that feeling of knowing this is where I am headed and resonating with it and not just being like, we all want to win the lottery. I can imagine myself winning the lottery (laughs) right now. Right, right. And as soon as you said that, your joy came up, your energy came up. So that is, the law of attraction is really simple. If you think of a tuning fork, the way a tuning fork works is you hit the tuning fork. It sends a wave, a wave out into the universe. It finds its matching wave and brings it back. And that's the sound we hear. So when we are doing the visualizations of, oh, I've got the winning lottery ticket and we're feeling miserable because I hate my boss. I hate my life. There's a disconnect there. And so there's no way for them to match up. The vibrations cannot match up. So when you do the visualizations and you add in that feeling, not as if, oh, it's in the future, but bringing it into the present, feeling as if now you already have it, that's where the alignment comes in. That is the true definition of law of attraction. That is so good. About that, that is one of the most like straightforward, succinct ways I've heard someone explain it, which is so helpful. Thank um, you. I think the other really interesting thing here is like, and it plays around with the joy is a choice thing, which at least for where I've taken that was what a quote about joy is a choice, and we have to keep on choosing it. But 
I know that in my own life, when I decided to go for joy and realized that some days it's going to feel like contentment and it'll feel like I'm fulfilled or, but there's something about it. But once I started going towards that, I know we talked a little bit about miracles happening before we hit record, but I feel like things shifted and I wouldn't mm-hmm. have been able to say why at the time, but I think this helps explain it because I had never really even thought of joy being at that highest vibration. But yeah, of course it makes sense. <laughs> right. And if I can share, I'm going to share something with you that I Please. think is going to really land and you will love this is I have had this front of a note card for at least 20 years as we've been through various moves. It's been on my wall near my computer for 20 plus years now. And it's a quote from Abraham Lincoln. Most folks are about as happy as they make up their minds to be. Mm, I'm writing it down. It's a choice. It's a choice, right? You and I have both been through some pretty intense experiences in our lives. And Mm. at every point, we have a choice. We can sink into the despair of it. We can flush ourselves down the pity pot, or we can... Sometimes it's so freaking hard to do, but we can pull up our big girl panties and make that choice. Even if that choice is, I'm just going to pivot a half an inch away from this. Yes. Well, and I think somewhere in there, what people get stuck when they think I have to choose joy because they have the sparkly, shiny idea of what it looks like to be joyful. And so one of the hard things when you're doing that half inch pivot is understanding that any movement towards joy and whatever you define joy as is a step in the right direction. It's truly a baby step approach. Like you don't just go from having something really difficult happen in your life to being, you know, irrationally joyful. Like <laughs> correct. Not, I mean, it could happen some days, but right. it's you like know, a gradual leaping, growing. Leaping tall buildings yeah. in a single bound, it, you know, doesn't happen. But going back yeah. to Abraham and Esther and yeah. Jerry Hicks again, if you and your listeners who are interested in this will Google their 22 levels of emotions, it shows mm. you how, all right, if you're at 22, you're have fear space to go, try and like, oh yeah, I'm going to go from 22 to, to number one, which is joy and freedom and love. It's not possible. Like it just doesn't mm-hmm. happen that way. But if you look at those different stages and you think, wow, okay, I can move up to, and I don't have this, the thing in front of me, but you know, despair or discouragement is a lot lighter than fear. So if yeah. you look at chunking it down and just making a little step, you know, that first courageous step, even if that courageous step is just, I'm going to really take a breath right now and bring myself into this moment. Because Mm -hmm. in this moment, there is not anxiety, there is not depression, there is not fear. Mm. Yes. And I love that you just said that there's courage to say, I'm going to take that step I'm going to just think into this moment, whatever this moment is right here. Maybe you could talk a little bit more about how, because intuitively I get what you're saying about like when you think into a present moment, it is devoid of that fear. But I don't know, is there something that if somebody's like, oh my gosh, how do you do that? I think I'm pretty close to that 22. How or why or like, how do you think into that? Okay. So excellent question. I'm loving this conversation, Paula. Thank you so much. (laughs) All right. So as long as, as long as you're not driving while you're listening to this, if you are driving, just press pause and come back to it, right? If you're not driving, close your eyes for a moment. 
and just notice your breathing without feeling like you have to change it or judge it in any way. Just notice your breath. Maybe it's very short and shallow. Maybe it's big and a long, expansive breath. Either way is fine. Simply noticing it allows you to start bringing your focus into this moment. And expanding the awareness of your breath, notice what you're sitting on, feeling that support, perhaps feeling your feet connecting on the floor or the earth or tucked up under you. And then coming back to your breath. And noticing that just in these few short moments, that's all you were focused on. And if you go into it in a longer period of time, of course, It's absolutely natural to have your conscious awareness go off in another direction. And it's as easy as bringing your awareness back to your breath, perhaps bringing your awareness to the feeling of the in-breath on the inside of your nostrils. And then how as it comes back out with the exhale, it feels warmer. And then again, on that inhale, feeling that cool air and then the warmer exhale. That is how quickly you can bring yourself into the moment. And when you're in this moment, you're not in depression, which is gnawing over the things of the past. You're not experiencing anxiety, which is, you know, worrying about what's to come. In this moment, all is well. And so if you did have your eyes closed, you can open them again and just let that sink in for a few moments. Perhaps that's the first time you've ever experienced something like that. Mm -hmm. If so, notice what it felt like. And then as the rest of the day goes on, allow it to kind of ripple out into curiosity of, hmm, that felt more than likely really good. I wonder what even more of that might feel like and how might that alter those feelings that I was having, where maybe I was at the bottom of the emotion scale. How was that for you, Paula? It's lovely. (laughs) I mean, I would say delicious, right? Like, I think it's so interesting because I know there have been times if I will stop like in the middle of my working day and I feel the anxiety, you know, or I'm like, oh my gosh, I got to respond to that email right away. Like in that moment, if I choose, to slow down. I usually notice my shoulders are up at my earlobes. Mm-hmm. I haven't taken like a full deep breath in like five minutes probably. And so it's like that, just the change of the posture and the choice to be like, okay, there is nothing, at least in my work, meaning my nine to five job, <laughs> that needs my attention in that kind of an immediate fashion. Now there mm-hmm. are jobs. I would argue that yes, you do need to be on and I'm thinking health workers and Somebody in an ER, you got to be on and you probably do need to be that attentive. But I think if if you can find the moment just to sink into that relaxation and take yourself out of whatever feels so crazy or pressing, like, yes, uh, I love love what you've just introduced. And what Um, I would add on to that, Paula, is that regardless of what you're doing, whether you're in the healthcare field or an emergency worker or brain surgery or or whatever, whatever you're doing, your breath is always with you. So it's not like, because like if I'm working with someone who's never 
experienced any of this before. And I say, well, you know, it would be really beneficial to meditate for 20 minutes in the morning and 20 minutes in the evening. They're not going to do it. I know that. But when I can teach, and I'm really into teaching breath techniques because our breath is always with us. We don't have to go anywhere. We can simply, eyes open or eyes closed, bring our awareness to our breath, and it brings us right into this moment. So that even when you're in the middle, like you're in the middle of something and it starts to get crazy, if you just breathe, it can bring you you know, bring you back to the present. I'm so into mm-hmm. asking my clients to empty the stress bucket. That's how I term it is. I you know, empty the stress mm. bucket on a regular basis because you're a six-year-old, you're still having to work with him on remembering to brush his teeth twice a day, right? Oh, yes. Right. And oh, so yeah. so you're working on building up that habit. And maybe your son will have the benefit that my children did not have because I didn't understand this when they were younger. But as you can start teaching him, all right, we brush our teeth because we don't want to get cavities. We do these little coping skills to prevent getting stressed and anxious. So two, it's a buildup of a habit. It's a buildup of not, okay, I'm going to meditate for 20 minutes. I'm not saying there's no benefit to that because there's all kinds of benefits you know, that have been researched and proven. But most of us won't take that chunk of a time. But if I ask my clients, okay, so at least once an hour, do a breath technique. All right. Uh, somebody I'm working with now who she was like, well, you know, I really can't do that when I'm at work. And I was like, um, really? You can't just while you're sitting at the computer, stop your typing and take a breath. And she was like, yeah, I guess I can. <laughs> so <laughs> if we empty that stress bucket on a regular basis, it doesn't have quite the capability that it's going to fill to overflowing and we're going to be in full blown panic mode. Right. Mm, Yes. And the thing I've noticed, too, is if I'm working with one of my clients, even if I don't say anything, this is so interesting. I don't know if you've noticed this, too, but if I feel the anxiety rising about something they're talking about or whatever, and then I start to feel my shoulders go up, if even if I'm totally silent and take a breath and notice where I am, it changes the entire energy of the session. Like, exactly. I can feel it go, go to them. I love that you've brought it up. And I've noticed it happen with groups, too. If you're in a group that's getting, you know, a little, I don't know, <laughs> screechy. I don't That's the word that comes to mind. It's like, you know, and everyone's feeling a little panicked. I think you can also set that tone and that intention for the group of, I'm going to slow down. You don't even have to say anything. That's the gorgeous thing about it. So I love that you brought it up that the person, of course, of course, you can do this at your desk. Yes. Right. Because, you know, I will admit that I am am not alone, that since November, I've had to really Mm, walk my talk. I have had to really walk my talk. And one of the things for me, one of the most important self-care practices for me is to unplug from the news. And I will admit that the other day I didn't, and I paid the price for it. I found myself getting sucked back into old patterns of being glued to it nonstop, nonstop. Well, 
okay. I woke up the next morning and I was like, and I even said to my husband, I said, okay, I recognized what I was doing and I'm not going to do that. I, you know, the awareness is the first part. So when you can become aware of, oh, I did that and it made me feel really bad. Well, then we can say, all right, I'm going to start choosing not to do that. So it doesn't mean that I've totally unplugged and I'm not paying attention, but I can still be aware of what's going on and do the parts that I can to take action without getting sucked down into the sewer with it. Like you said about groups, social media has the capability, like everything, it has the yin and the yang, but social media, I think, is really playing a very strong part in the high, high, high levels of stress and anxiety and fear that has risen exponentially since November. So Mm -hmm. we can use social media for good. We can use social media for the opposite, which I don't like to label with the B word, Or we can use it like somewhere in the middle where we uh, use it to be informed and to be uh, aware and to do what part we have, because I think we all have a part in this play, but it doesn't mean that we all have to be doing what everybody else is doing. Yes. And I think it's so interesting. So last week would be Deirdre Fenton, and she is a social media marketer. So, so if you guys are question, have questions about that, definitely go back and check out, I guess, episode 78. But she even says, like, you know, it's meant to be a social connector, but we get so wrapped up in it. And I think she and I even talk about, like, how your ego gets very excited about the numbers and the other pieces and, you know, how many likes did you get? That side's interesting to me, but there's something here around the fear and anxiety that comes up. So how do we disconnect based on kind of the upsetting nature of the political scene today, how do we find that, maybe it's not quite balanced, but how do we hear the news, but also remain somewhat detached Mm -hmm. from the emotional trap that sometimes social media can provide for us? That's a really important question, Paula. And, you know, again, I have had to walk my talk on this. And so I have become very aware you know, long before the election, I live very close to Newtown, Sandy Hook, Connecticut. We are one town over from them. And the principal of the school was someone who taught both of my children. So, you know, we were absolutely devastated, absolutely devastated. And I found myself really getting sucked down into the sewer because I was 24-7 listening to the news, watching the news on TV, Mm. you know, blah, 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 blah. And then I realized, oh my gosh, I realized what this was doing to me and to our family. And so I slipped back into the pattern of watching the TV news again. And if you're still watching the TV news without any judgment, I would just ask you to listen to this and then really think about how is it serving you? Because the TV news cycles are repetitive. And so it's compounding it, compounding it. You know, the more they can help you to feel stressed and anxious and fearful, the more you're going to go back and turn it on. The more you do that, the more they can charge the advertisers. So I slipped back into this old pattern and then the Boston bombing happened. And I found myself glued to the TV news again, 24-7. And I haven't watched a TV news show since then because 
I realized how toxic it was for me. And I'm not saying that, you know, this is what everyone has to do, but I really checked in with what is going to serve me. And it doesn't mean that I'm not aware of what's going on. Unfortunately, I'm very well aware of what's going on in the country politically right now. However, I am managing it in manageable doses. So if you are, as I used to be, like so glued into it, maybe you can just start putting a few small boundaries up as in, okay, I'm going to check it at this time and this time and this time and see how that feels. Because if you're watching it 24-7 to say, oh, go on a detox, again, it's that big leap that's not going to happen. But if you can start pulling back from it just a little bit and seeing how that feels, oh, maybe I feel a little calmer. Maybe I don't feel quite so anxious and fearful. Oh, okay. Well, when you pull back from that a little bit, it gives you more opportunity to respond instead of react. Because when we react with stress, anxiety, fear, we're shocking our system. We're shocking our system right. with, with cortisol and all these you know hormones that are good for short term, but are very detrimental to us in the long term. Right. Yeah. And if we're not coming up for air so to speak, during the news. If you, I mean, truly, I know there have been times, I mean, I think, I mean, for September 11th, that was a big one for a lot of us probably, mm-hmm. where it felt like we needed to be glued to the news, see what was happening. But then I noticed for myself there, there was a shift maybe after the first day or two when it was, it seemed like there wasn't a new event impending. And then it just became seeing the events again and again and again. And it I can see now that, what, is it that we leave ourselves in that cycle of almost trauma? I mean, does our brain really differentiate from the difference of whatever the thing is, the event, and re-seeing it again and again? I don't, okay. we need a break. So, yeah. so in the principles of hypnosis, there mm-hmm. is the initial sensitizing event. So let's say it was 9-11. Oh, I can give you a concrete example here. So I don't know how many years after 9-11, I helped someone get over her debilitating fear of flying, like debilitating. She was not going to go on the plane. You know, I'm not going with my family. I'm not going. I'm not going. And the mother said, oh, we know exactly when this started and you know, blah, blah, blah. And I said, maybe, maybe not. And it turned out... She was a um, young girl in elementary school on the day of 9-11, and her teacher was flipping out about the planes going in the building. And then if you remember, every time you had the TV on, they were showing pictures of that over and over and over again. And so in hypnosis, it's called compounding right? So you have that initial event and then it compounds and compounds and compounds until it is that huge. The beauty is we healed that initial event. And five years later, this beautiful young woman was skydiving out of an airplane. I saw it on Facebook and went, oh my gosh. That is amazing. Yes. So when the news organizations are showing 
or, you know, showing these pictures and the pictures, you know, picture is worth a thousand words when they're showing the pictures, when they're saying these same, you know, and they're using hypnotic languaging, you know, they're using hypnotic languaging because they know it works. But when they're doing Mm. it over and over and over again, it's getting deeper and deeper into our systems. It's getting bigger and bigger, the impact. When something happens in childhood, there was a fascinating study that was done, I think maybe 10 years ago, only it didn't really start getting attention until the last year or two, called the ACEs study. And it was done by Kaiser Permanente and the CDC. And it was, I forget, maybe 17,000 adults. And they asked 10 simple questions about their childhood experiences. And it was questions like, you know, did you lose a parent to through divorce or death? Uh, did you have a parent in prison? Did you have an alcoholic parent? Did anybody ever sexually assault you? Was your mother physically assaulted? You know, questions like this. Now, this is not a test you want to get a high score on. And so imagine my shock when I took this test and I scored pretty high. I scored higher than the friend who told me about it and said, oh my gosh, I got whatever the number was. And then I took it. I scored even higher than her. I was like, oh my gosh. So this study on these 10 questions then matches up with the physical and emotional and mental health of these adults. And there is startling clarity that those adverse childhood experiences directly correlate to heart health, immune system, cancer, addictions, mental health. I mean, it is absolutely startling to see that what happens in childhood doesn't stay there. That is amazing. I mean, and I, I'm kind of like, <laughs> I know you're for a question around it. Like, you don't found it because it's, Right. And this is, see, this, Paula, for me, it was exciting because I've known this. I've known this from my work for so long. But, you know, I was like just talking about it like, oh, you know, my woo-woo way. And now I have research (laughs) I can point to and say, you know what? What happens in childhood is directly correlated with your addiction, now with your health. The great news is, is we can turn it around. We can turn Mm, it around. This is why, Paula, I call myself a spiritual healer and coach because we have to do the healing part. When we are able to identify the root of the issue and do that healing, then if you think about it in terms of gardening, right, we take the weed out root and all, then we have room in the garden to plant a nice nourishing vegetable or a beautiful flower. The coaching part comes in where then we have to learn strategies and techniques so we can sustain the changes even when life throws us a curveball. Because if we don't have those, again, going back to the idea of doing the preventative exercises for stress and anxiety, if we don't have that strong foundation, then when life throws us a curveball and we know it will, it's too easy to go right back into those old patterns. Just like, you know, I keep saying about me walking my talk, that again, as much as I know this and I live this and I breathe this and I work this with my clients, here I found myself back in that old pattern of being glued to the news and the the gloom and doom of politics. And it's like, okay, no, let's go back to self-care. Yeah. Well, and it's so true because, I mean, I find myself turning to those patterns 
from time to time, whether it's a stressful day or it's, you know, whatever. There's We all have our triggers. And it was funny because I was even saying to my husband, I think it was like the other night, something about, yeah, it's like it's that old pair of shoes, which is comfortable, but you know you shouldn't wear them like in public at all because they're horrible and they, you know, they probably smell like it's literally in some ways very similar because like, I know I shouldn't go back to this pattern, but Oh, it's so easy and they're right there. And it just feels right. And exactly. That's why it's easier to choose fear than love Mm. because Most of but us. I'm so glad you're bringing that up. I love this topic so much. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So it's most of us. And again, you know, I didn't have this lovely childhood. So, right. but I have, I've had enough experience with clients and, you know, with sharing with friends that, you know, I don't think that the majority of us are taught what love is as children because our parents didn't know what it was. You know, it's like handed down, handed down, handed down. So, when we know fear as a child, stop crying or I'll give you something to cry about. Well, that's a lot more familiar than, oh, here, let me comfort you, right? So right. yeah, I'm not a student of A Course in Miracles. It's always been a little too heady for me to wrap my mind around <laughs> it. But yeah. well, it, for me, it is. So I have a copy of it at home and there and I pull it out sometimes. Right. How like, many times have you tried? It's rough, and I love a good read. I love a really heavy read, but that one is big. (laughs) It it is. I've tried several times, and it's just, you know, okay. But but I get the concepts, and thankfully, Hmm. Marianne Williamson is a beautiful teacher of A Course in Miracles, and she really talks about love versus fear, which again, if you go back to earlier in our conversation, the uh, Abraham scale of emotions, love is at the top, fear is at the bottom, right? So it really does come down to love and fear. So when we are more familiar with those lower vibrations, when we are more familiar with that dirty old smelly pair of shoes, we're much more likely, especially if we need comfort, we're going to go back to what feels comfortable, those dirty smelly Mm -hmm. shoes, as opposed to, you know, and again, so love. Well, how many of us have the limiting beliefs of, I don't deserve love, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. oh, okay. I'm not, I'm not going to go for that because I don't believe it. And we don't know this on a conscious level. It's all at the subconscious level or that fear of rejection, right? So it's amazing to me that fear of public speaking is the top mm-hmm. fear in this country, it's interesting that in the UK, it's not, it's number two. But here in this country, fear of public speaking is the number one fear ahead of death. Like, really? <laughs> Think about that. It's very it's, strange. It's ahead of <laughs> death, right? Yeah, because one and, of those is pretty permanent, at least in some state, you know? Correct. <laughs> It gets so, into an existential question really quick, but yeah, one of them does change your state quite drastically. Uh, yes, it does, and permanently. Yeah. But so what is that about? The root cause is a fear of rejection. Yeah, for sure. It's a fear of rejection. Almost always, it goes back to childhood. I can think of, this is really interesting. I had a 14-year-old girl that I worked with who had a debilitating fear of dogs. And 
her mother called me and I said, let's do our first couple of sessions online. But because it's a fear of dogs, I said, when I know she's ready, I'd really love to have our last session in my home because for her to meet a dog for the first time, I have Maggie the healer. And Maggie the healing dog is the sweetest dog. If you look on my website, you see pictures of her. She's with me right now. She is the sweetest, most soulful dog ever. So I worked with this young girl and it had nothing to do with dogs. Nothing. Mm. It had everything to do with her being, I think, three or four years old and about to go out for a dance recital and that fear of rejection. And so we did the healing around that. She um, had just started high school and uh, she was on the wanting to be on the cheerleading team. So as a freshman, after our first session, we're not working on her cheerleading, we're working on her fear of dogs. After the first session, she did this, you know, back handstand or something, backflip that she'd never been able to do before. And she did it in front of her coach. After our second session, she made the cheerleading squad as a freshman. And again, we're not working on, on that. We're working on her fear of dogs. On her third session, she came to my home. And when her mother came back to pick her up, she had tears streaming down her face because there was the girl sitting on my couch, petting Maggie, the healing dog. That is very sweet. It was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. And so that fear of rejection, think about that, that now at 14 years old, this girl has gotten free of that. We've just changed the whole trajectory of her life. But think about the oldest client I've worked with to date was 82 years old, this sweet, sweet Nana who had incredible anxiety and fear. She had grown up in, I think it was post-war Germany. And she had, you know, she had a serious amount of trauma in her childhood. And actually, she came to me because she had irritable bowel syndrome. And she had heard me mention that you can use hypnosis is very effective in helping with irritable bowel syndrome. So, At 82 years old, she finally was courageous enough to say, I'm choosing to love myself enough to get rid of this anxiety and this fear. And she did. This sweet little Nana who went to morning mass and she was reading, I think it's like the responsorial psalm or whatever. And she realized she's Mm -hmm. reading the wrong one. And she sent me a note and she said, for the first time in my life, I knew I, I had made a mistake and it was okay. Like, Mm. how sweet at 82 years old that this woman finally found that freedom and that love. Because that freedom and love, they're hand in hand. Again, they're they're both on that top line of the emotion scale. Mm, Yes, and that's so, so beautiful. I mean, and there's that through line of trust for both, I think, that... Yes. I mean, both, you know, the the 14-year-old and the the banana and just gorgeous amounts of courage for both of them to want to face those fears too. And let me just say for your listeners that the courage doesn't have to be that big. Again, your first step of courage could be when you did the breathing with us a little while ago. Your first Mm -hmm. step in courage could be reaching out to a friend and saying, you know what? I'm having a hard time. That's courageous. And please, I really want you to hear that. If that feels so big and scary, know that that's courageous. 
know yeah. that when you can reach out and say, I'm having a rough time, that that's courageous and let that empower you. Yes. Oh, I love how you've put that because it is. It's There's something tender about that space too of feeling like things maybe aren't enough. I think that's the thing that stops so many people around taking a first step is that it won't be enough. So I love that that courage doesn't have to be that big. I'm yes. Well, yeah, because when we chunk it down, then it feels like maybe it's attainable. You know, there was the old Zen Mm, proverb of a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. Mm, Yes, totally. (laughs) Totally agree. It's beautiful that that, yeah, it ties through. And I, it's funny that I had never really thought of that necessarily as a courage so much, maybe as previously I would have said that was about, encouragement, which seems to have the same root, doesn't it? Right. Courage. <laughs> yeah, encouragement. Okay. Light, weird light bulb moment for the folks. <laughs> oh, you're delightful, oh, Paula. <laughs> oh, thank you. Oh my gosh. This is, I just love this. If people want to find out a little bit more about you before we get to our last couple of questions, where do they find you? And maybe how do you work with people? Because I know we've talked a lot about clients, but kind of what's your sweet spot of working with people? I work with, you know, you can hear, I, I say from eight to 82, because actually I think the youngest was six, but like my sweet spot is literally like 48 to 65 year old women, because we've had a certain amount of life experience. And the way that I look at all of us, especially my clients, is the way that Michelangelo looked at the marble. He said that the statue's already in there, that all I have to do is chip away what doesn't belong and reveal its magnificence. So I see that we are all whole and complete. We are already that beautiful masterpiece. We just have a lot of gunk over top of it. And so it doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't have to be long term that we peel away those layers to get back to who we really are. We are that absolute beautiful magnificence. So I do that virtually and you can find out more at my website, stephaniedalfonso.com. And as I talked about earlier about uh, the preventative of emptying the stress bucket, if you go to the number four, fourcopingskills.com, you can download four coping skills that are really quick and really easy. So easy that Paula, you can even do these with your son. However, mama, let me caution you to put your own oxygen mask on first. I know that when I would learn these things, woo, I'd want to go share them with everybody. And what is the most important thing is that we take care of ourselves. We do that self-care, learn those coping skills, then we can maybe teach them to our kids or to others. But the number four, yeah. copingskills.com, they're really quick and easy. Awesome. I will link to both of those in the show notes as well. Awesome. Um, Thank you. And it, yeah, it's been, I mean, just such a treat to get to meet you and, and get to speak to you. And, and I'm so glad that you reached out and introduced yourself. I, we were meant yeah, to connect, Paula. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was such a yes from the minute I read it. So as we get into the last questions, I can't wait to hear both of these answers from you. I'm feeling these are going to be awesome. What does balance look like for you day to day? Or if you really prefer the question of how do you maintain harmony in your life? People seem to resonate with those words very differently. Okay. So balance is not like, oh, everything's fine. Um, I'm a yoga teacher. 
and I don't teach in a studio, but I incorporate the yogic philosophies and principles in my work and certainly in my day. And I think back to when I first started practicing and I first was learning tree pose, the teacher would say, remember, a wobbly tree is a good tree. So I think a lot of times our society thinks that balance is we're all the time. That's not real life. What balance to me is, is when you wobble a little bit, but you can bring yourself back into steadiness. So not expecting that you're going to, you know, have those mountaintop experiences 24-7, but to instead know that, all right, if you've never done tree pose, just try, not right now, but just try standing on one foot, just lifting the other foot. And if you are just up there for a couple seconds, great, you had balance for a couple seconds. And the more you do it, the more you can find your balance. So it's really about, I have a tree behind our property that is dead. It is dead, dead, dead. There's not one branch on it. It is stick still. Regardless of the wind, it never moves. But a healthy tree is going to sway in the breeze. That to me is balance. I really like that answer. And I know on your website, I believe you, there's a picture of you in tree pose. So yes, <laughs> there's yes. a beautiful <laughs> full circle moment right there. Yeah, that's super interesting because you're right. Most of life is not any sort of true calculated balance. It's really more about staying with it. So right. I love that you and brought coming up back yoga. to it. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Okay. So for our <laughs> last question. What are three ways that you can think of to jumpstart joy in your life, in the world, or other people's lives? Okay. First thing is gratitude. It is the highest vibration. So my practice and what I encourage others to do is before your feet even hit the floor, think of three things that you're grateful for. And even if it's as simple as, I had a really good night's sleep. Ooh, I slept in clean sheets last night. Oh, I made up with my husband before, you know, with that fight before we went to bed. Whatever it is, it doesn't have to be big and huge. Oh, I won the lottery. Whatever you can be grateful for. And then I could go off on a whole tangent about this and I won't, but there's a power Mm -hmm. in three. So, you know, think about three things you're grateful for and then send that out into the universe with thank you, thank you, thank you, and that energy of it. The next thing is to smile because I'll make this really brief. I wrote about this on Facebook and then I did a blog about this last week. I was called to go into a different line at the grocery checkout. I was like, all right, I'm followed my intuition, went into this other line. This woman looked at, I I smiled at her. She looked like I threw her a lifeline. And then when it was my turn, she was crying. The woman had been so nasty to her. This woman, this Mm. cashier suffered the loss of her son a few months ago and Mm. was so grateful that I smiled at her. And I just, I actually went back to see her again today and I made sure I went in her line and said, you know, you are rippling out because I'm sharing this story with so many people. You're, she is rippling out this kindness (laughs) movement into the world because I was using hashtag kindness matter. So gratitude is number one, smile. It didn't just make her feel good. Do you know how much more exponentially good that made me feel? Like I just, all I did was smile at her. And then the third step to jumpstart your joy is the awareness, right? With that awareness, you can consciously choose the joy. So the awareness is simply 
check in. How am I feeling? Oh, I'm not feeling so good. How can I feel a little bit better? Going back to what we were talking about earlier, if you're feeling fearful, jump into joy feels too big. How can I feel less fearful? So gratitude, Mm. smile, and awareness. Those are all wonderful. And I will, I will link up to that story on your blog as well in the show notes. Um, awesome. Thank you. It was powerful. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on the show. I mean, this is really like, yes, I just loved every second. And I am so grateful well, to, thank you. to have thank- crossed paths. Thank you so much, Paula. And I have a feeling this will not be our last conversation. I think you and I were meant to have many more conversations offline, uh, you know, offline as well. Totally agree. Thank you. Thank you, Stephanie, for being on the show this week. I would very much love to have you come back and share more of your love and wisdom. So we will have to set that up. To find out more about Stephanie and her work, you can visit her at stephaniedelfonso.com. Or you can head to my website at jumpstartyourjoy.com slash episode 79 to get all of the show notes, complete with links to the books that we've talked about and links to Stephanie's site. If you enjoyed this conversation, there are 78 other great episodes to check out on the site, jumpstartyourjoy.com. And you can go back and check out other episodes on courage from this month as well. If you want to subscribe, Jumpstart Your Joy is on all the major podcasting syndication spots, which would be iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and Player FM. And you can subscribe using your mobile device and get the episodes delivered right away as they are released each Tuesday morning. (laughs) Next week, the podcast is airing on my birthday, and I have a very special returning guest on the show, Kate Courageous will be joining me to celebrate and to very appropriately round out Courage Month. She and I talk about how to create new habits, and she shares about the crossroads of courage and neuroscience. (laughs) It's such a great conversation. It's fascinating and fast-paced, and I can't wait to celebrate my birthday with her and with all of you. I hope that you'll come back next week and tune in, and until then, I hope that your day is filled with so much joy. 